Hello, everybody. This is John Vanderbilt. I'm the executive pastor here at Glen Allen Bible Church, and you are listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, May 1, 2022. Hi, everyone. I'm Simone Halpin. I'm Kelly Brady, and I serve as senior pastor here at Glen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level. Welcome back. It's Monday. It's Monday. How was y'all's weekend? Nice. Busy. Yeah, very yeah. busy. Rainy spring weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rainy, lots yeah. going on. So I preached at another church over the weekend, uh, Poplar Creek Church, and it was a lot of fun. Interesting thing happened on the way home, though. So I'm driving home from preaching at Poplar Creek Church, and I ran out of gas. What? What are you, a teenager? <laughs> I know. So the, the car I'm driving was my son's car, and uh, we had the gas tank swapped out in it and the floats not working so the gauge doesn't work so you have to watch the mileage really closely and the good news is i ran out of gas in front of adam kruger's house he lives two doors down from me oh okay (laughs) this is less dramatic so i could if i had to i could have pushed it to my house and used the lawnmower gasoline to uh but it was kind of That's funny. Adam came funny. out and helped me and put gas oh, in it, man. and I went two for two more houses down the street. <laughs> That's great. Oh, that's funny. It's has actually been that long since I ran out of gas. It happens often, but you know. Y'all, how'd you feel it went yesterday for you, John, preaching? I thought it was it was good. I felt like it was a good. I heard uh, some people came forward for prayer. Yeah, we had people come forward for prayer. We had yeah, it was a it was a good. Rathbuns were good celebrated Sunday. and thanked. That was cool. Yep. They had like mm-hmm. 80 people at their lunch. Mm, they had a celebration great. luncheon. And yeah. They fun. led communion. Communion was, was good. And yeah, good. it was a good Sunday. I had a, a book discussion in the afternoon here at the church on a book written by Alistair Bagg titled Brave. And it's, um, it's an encouragement to parents to, to uh, find their, their confidence mm. in, in the midst of all the culture shift that's going on. How's that going? We had terrific attendance and terrific participation. So we had like 27 uh, parents there and parents from all stages of life. A couple parents like myself who have 20 somethings and then one young couple who uh, haven't given birth yet to wow. their child. Oh, and then, so we had, we had parents from all stages, which is a lot of fun. And uh, I asked them at the beginning of the little study to grade your level of feeling overwhelmed. And we had people that felt nine, you know, completely overwhelmed, seven. We had a couple threes. Um, uh, so it was, uh, and we, we spent time praying together, discussing the content. It's a great little book. If listeners want one, I have a couple extra. So great little book and really encouraging time. So That's I was thankful neat. for it. It's good. Glad you're doing that. Should we jump in? You want me to read? We're missing Matt. Matt's not here today. Should I read Matt, the questions? Yeah, Matt's really the only one that knows how to read. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I can do this. <laughs> Question number one. Can you discuss how believers and non-believers interact in all of GEBC's programming? Helping people follow Jesus is core, but does it look different for different folks? It's a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of the... Uh, the message on Sunday was just the idea of restoring work. There's kind of two sides to it, restoring mm-hmm. uh, those to move to depend on Jesus. Right. So the sharing the work. gospel and that, that initial and, and most important restoration work, you know, from death to life, from, to heaven, from hell, um, that, that work, um, and then the restoration, ongoing restoration work in the in the life of it. Yeah, use big words: disciple. justification, sanctification, glorification. glorification. Yeah. I think you like those words. <laughs> <laughs> they make sense to me. 
It's interesting. I just pause. It's interesting preaching uh, topical sermon. We haven't, I mean, it, mm-hmm. we don't do that very often. Right. And um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was a fun exercise. I felt like I had way too many uh, verses, but I kept, verses kept coming to mind yeah. that you're like, oh, that's so good. I need to share scripture on that, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, so anyway, the question, I, I mentioned that uh, part of, who we are as a church is not a church that's just hud- holy huddle where it's just the idea that we get together and we talk about how much we love Jesus. We just hold hands, kind of lock arms and yeah. protect ourselves against the church is a castle with a giant moat around it. Right. Right. So the idea that um, our programming is not just open to those who are seeking or don't know Jesus, but it's actually inviting. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't get much into those details, but I go back to, to answer the question, I go back to some work we did, I think it was around 2015 to like 2018. Um, as a staff, we, we sent some staff to a, a big conference where they received training. And we then as a staff read a book together and we did a bunch of work on it. It's called Organic Outreach. Kevin Harney is the guy's name. And it's not a perfect book and perfect system, but the idea behind it was that most churches are fine being open to those who are who are earnestly seeking or don't know Jesus, and if they show up, great. Uh, it, it kind of like our our if somebody came in our church and they didn't know Jesus, be like, great, great, come on in. But few churches make the shift, and he calls it a one degree shift mm-hmm. to being actually inviting. So, creating programs and space and and things at the church, being ready for them. Correct. Yeah. Not not just. Oh, great that somebody showed up, but actually having it be where, you know, the helpins could invite their their new neighbor who is not a believer to their small group or to women's Bible study or to children's ministry or student ministry or whatever that is. So every program is a place that um, not just the leaders of the church are inviting, but those who are participating are inviting. So I think that's a, a key, a, a key distinction, and the the reason for that. So not just being open, but being inviting. The reason um, for that is that we believe that people want to belong to something mm-hmm. real, authentic. Mm-hmm. The the title organic outreach. Mm-hmm. The idea is that we don't create specific programs that are you know, sort of flashy. And then we do a Jesus juke, mm. like, you know, come to the basketball tournament and then we you know we're going to share Jesus for 30 minutes mm-hmm. and everybody thinks they just came to play basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, those probably, those types of things probably, <laughs> uh, are, are long gone for most churches. But the idea is that anybody can show up and anybody can be a part and anybody can be invited to. I was thinking, what, what would they not, what would we not have people invited to, and there's just so few things. Yeah, um, we have non-believers serving as volunteers in our care center, mm-hmm. it, not in roles where they're sharing the gospel or praying with people because yeah. they they aren't at that place yet. They don't feel comfortable, but they are a part of the the group that's serving Jesus and sharing our resources. And um, we've had uh, seekers in, serve in lots of different places and be a part of lots of different groups and. The idea is belong to the community, be a part of what's going yeah. on here and see who we are, be a part of the relationships and and that moves people 
um, closer closer to Jesus. So what does that look like? I think the question is, you know, what does it look like for these different folks to be in the same room? And mm-hmm. certainly there's probably times where things are, are going right over the head of, of a mm-hmm. non-believer, but that's okay. Right. We don't... Certain language yeah. and um, cultural moments, like you say, that could be missed on non-believers. Yeah. On Sunday morning, we we, uh, we are unapologetically believer-focused. So our music selections for believers, the teaching, we're trying to speak to the hearts and minds of those who have already decided to follow Jesus. But we are, the phraseology that we would use would be seeker-aware, and we want to acknowledge uh, that there are folks in the room that are going to have questions who are, might not. Kimberly Rathman said it on um, yeah. Sunday in the communion remarks. Communion's open to anybody trusting in Jesus. If you're not yet trusting Jesus, do it now. Yeah. And if you're not ready, trust in Jesus. We're glad you're here. But you can just let the elements pass you by. Just listen and learn about the grace of God. And so we want to be very aware. Um, one of the things that Bible churches, so I'll, I'll speak about our own flavor our own kind of movement. Bible churches have been culturally insular historically. Uh, We have been more of a holy huddle. And when I say, I'm talking 1940s, 1950s, 1960s. Um, And there is some, I'll be honest with you, there is some pressure on the church today to go back to a culturally insular mindset Mm -hmm. where we lock down, we say teams are locked, uh, this, these services, this building, these programs are for believers. And, and that pressure is something we need to resist because, and here's why, being a follower of Jesus and doing outreach are not two separate activities. Yeah. That's why we've stopped saying this program is a program for outreach. Well, no, our whole lives are, are outreach uh, realities. We're always to be ready to give uh, the reason for the hope that we have in Christ. So we like to marry um, the ministry we're doing to and for believers to the awareness that believers are, they're inviting folks and there are folks here that have questions and are we're all at different places in following Jesus. And some people may ask, well, so where is, where is deep discipleship happening? Where is the, you know, the, the hard hard work with those who are following Jesus to grow and all those sorts of things. It's happening everywhere. Yeah. And, sometimes, and it's happening with non-believers watching. Yes, exactly. And listening. Right. And there's uh, plenty of opportunities for those that want to go deep. Um, there's lo- there's lots of different places for those who are further along in their faith journey to continue to grow. And yeah. um, Well, and I should say, the Brave Books study I just led on Sunday, it would be a mistake to think that the 27 in attendance were all at the same place in their faith. Um, I mean, I happen to know there are some people not yet following Jesus in the room, but at the same time, overwhelmed by the cultural shift going on. And so they, they come and they want uh, some help navigating this, although they're not fully yet bought into who Christ is and, and what the church is about, which is, it's awesome. They can, they can live and learn along with us. Mm-hmm. You're making me think, Kelly, of um, something I heard on a podcast this past week about how we are, we're born into the world looking for someone to see us. It, does that make sense? Yeah. Like we, we are, our human nature is to be connected to other people, mm-hmm. ultimately cl- connected to God. Right. And so as you're talking, I'm thinking this, you're like what you're describing is you're welcoming anyone to any program, any service, um, to participate. And it's almost like as a, as people on who are believers, we have been found, 
right? Mm-hmm. It, it, does that make sense? Like oh, yeah. the Lord we've has been seen. We've been seen. Yeah. We have been reconciled to God through Christ. And there's nothing that really makes us any different than those who are entering into our churches or our small groups or, you know, the different programming. Um, except that uh, they might still be looking to be found. And so I just love the picture you're painting because I am thinking of people in my life who maybe I need to be more faithful in inviting them to church and um, knowing that they're going to be brought into a safe place. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to change the message on Sunday because you know people are sitting here who don't yet believe. You're not going to change the music, all that you're saying. I just, it's just a really beautiful picture of being authentic as a church, but still welcoming people who aren't there yet or they're looking. And I don't know. I just loved that analogy that this guy said on this podcast about we are born into the world looking for the person who's going to find us. Mm -hmm. Um, Hagar actually said um, when she realized that God saw her, you are the God who sees me. It's Genesis 16, 13. So really encouraging Mm -hmm. to be found by God. And uh, yeah, we want people to be found by God. And so we need to invite them into our lives, our homes, our programs at the church, worship services. And we, we, uh, we just don't do ourselves a service if we draw a hard line. It, we bifurcate you know these are for believers these programs yeah. are for believers and these are for non-believers because then we segment our our realities mm-hmm. in a way that's not helpful i'm i can invite non-believers into the bible study if they want to come it'd be great to have mm-hmm. them yeah and all all the the res, the research that some of this organic outreach and there's been other things that have happened as well has come out of the idea that that type of ministry where there's you know super seeker sensitive where everything's sort of geared that way or we've got inviting programs and and outreach programs and discipleship programs basically what they what the research shows and what people found was that they weren't engaging with it at the level that and in the way that people thought Mm -hmm. they were actually saying just be who you guys are just be the church (laughs) and let us participate and be and belong and um yeah, there's a lot of data on the seeker-sensitive movement of the uh, 90s mm-hmm. and how it it certainly grew attendance. Um, I, w- I wouldn't say it grew followership. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit of a mile wide mm-hmm. and an inch deep. Yeah. And, and, and people saying, I just, I want to, s- like, don't change the mute, like, worship the way you guys worship and yeah. let me participate, let me see, let me experience it to see if it's if it's real is Taste it authentic and see that the lord is good totally yeah let me explore yeah. it where do you for someone who's not in the church world like you all where do you get that pressure from when you say there's pressure to go back to well it's the very reason for the brave book study i mean uh, <laughs> it's why that book is written it's why, why Beck selling. is talking about it like crazy Interesting. it's the okay. pressure to insulate i mean um but is that coming from in like oh internal, sure absolutely like, okay. yeah believers are feeling that the culture is shifting so dramatically. I mean, questions are asked just, what about my kids? Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to be in the church interacting with people potentially that don't know Student ministry is kind of front, to, oh, front burner. Student ministry is front okay. burner. Okay. Yeah. So people think their kids are going to youth group and they're not going to be, it's different than going to high scripture. school. They're not right. going to, yeah. They they're want not be a influence quote, negatively. Unquote, safe place. And, I gotcha. And, I, and okay. we have to drill down there. We have to yeah, there's some tension in there. Yeah, so yeah. safety. Well, what do you mean by safety? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we we don't we want programs just for believing students, 
And I'm not sure that produces the believers that we want. Um, yeah. uh, we want students that can own their faith and that, that are hearing the hard questions and frankly are seeing fellow non-believing students come closer to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there's opportunities too in, uh, we'll just use student ministries as, as an example, cause it's an easy one to do, but there are specific things in student ministry that are very inviting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I want to do half the things trip. you guys yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know. And then there are, there are parts of student ministries while still being inviting where a friend could invite another friend. Um, but there are, you know, it's in, it's intense Bible study. Mm-hmm. Um, it's largely kids that grew up in the church or have been a part of the church. Again, could invite somebody who is mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. following Jesus to, mm-hmm. hey, come be a part of you know this on Wednesday nights. So you know, student ministries lives in that in that tension a little bit of being crazy inviting, and yet also having to make space for and program for students who are on the full spectrum of following following Jesus. We want our church to be a mile wide and a mile deep. Oh, I love that. We want to do really good work sharing our lives and pursuing the lost intentionally. That's one of the attributes of a disciple. We want to be pursuing people who are far from Christ. And we want to do a really good job growing as followers of Christ at the same time. And those two aren't mutually exclusive. In fact, I don't know if you're mm-hmm. growing if you're not pursuing the lost and inviting them into your yeah. life. Yeah, you said that. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Don't forget, people. Yeah. I was invited to church in seventh grade, the first time I heard Praise the gospel. God. And yeah. Gave my life to Jesus in that moment. And I've never looked back at that friend and thought, she duped me. I just right. feel so grateful that she invited me yeah. and that it changed my life. That's it's awesome. awesome. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. You know, and we do this because it's it's the easiest way to do it. I mean, it's clean. There's no messes. <laughs> it's really, uh, it's organized. I mean, you just follow a playbook. Checklist. And it happens. Wow. Now, <laughs> so you can catch the sarcasm. <laughs> My point, I made the point on Sunday. This is hard, messy, long mm. uh, work. It's interacting. Yeah. Believers and non-believers interacting and programming for that and being open and inviting yet Yet teaching, you know, God's word, uh, you know, as it as it is, um, is it's challenging work. I think of you know a glimpse into the our small group last night, and I think of the we spent a significant amount of time praying for people that we're trying to share Jesus with and and walk alongside. And story after story was so messy mm-hmm. of how people are interacting with people. And how, like you said, how long, it's like long suffering oh, going along. Yes. Somebody what? said, I said, how long have you been with this, you know, carrying, yeah. walking alongside this person? 15 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there were stories of. Are they not following the playbook? <laughs> there's stories of uh, siblings. Mm-hmm. People are, have been walking sure. alongside and, yep. and parents, people who yep. were, you know, just that it is a being a mile wide and a mile deep wanting to mm-hmm. to uh have programming that way and do this kind of work it's it's challenging but it's beautiful man it's yep. it's god's design and so anyway all right question number two when you said the words quote unquote holy huddle this morning i knew immediately that's what i grew up in growing up church was always the place where we huddled up which is good we tried to support and encourage one another, but it turned into talking about the unholy masses, and this person puts it in quotes. 
Well, I got caught up in it like everyone else. I also hated it because it wasn't compassionate. I guess my question is, how do we avoid that at GEBC? I want to be in a church that really lives out restoration by showing compassion. I guess we've touched on this quite a bit already, but yeah. One of the th- you mentioned in first service, and I had to watch it on the YouTube. You talked about the value the of YouTube. Conf- <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hundred years old. By the way. <laughs> on the World Wide Web, is that where you watched it? <laughs> Cyberspace. Then I used the Google to find answers. Um, you talked about inviting confession and the value of confession. We all want to be a part of a compassionate. Uh, maturing experience. But we have to be the people that we want to be friends with. Mm. We actually have to make ourselves vulnerable. It's up to the leadership of the church to be um, revealing struggles. If we pretend as leaders to be perfect, if we, if we, um, yeah, so we, we need to be confessing our sin. I lead a group uh, that's, that's all about confession. Um, I'll kick it off again in the fall. It's a, right now it's focused on men's ministry. Uh, we're, we're wrestling with how to launch a women's group as well. But it's, it's built on the notion of confess. James chapter 5, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, there's a lot of healing prayer that happens at Glowing Bible Church. There needs to be an equal amount of confession. So if we want a compassionate community, the leadership has to take the lead there in, in being vulnerable about personal struggles. And then we need to celebrate restoration where we see it happening. Sherry came home from Bible study um, last week and just shared a tremendous story of restoration and how the group had celebrated together. And um, so we need to be celebrating each other's when we see restoration happening too. Mm-hmm. people finally clearing hurdles that they had battled for so long and marriages mended and, and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if that, that um, the restoration reconciliation work that needs to happen within the body of believers as a great reminder for, um, I think I said it in, in second service, sort of the longer you grow and the longer you are part of the faith, the longer you are a disciple, the more you realize how sinful you really are mm. and how much you need the grace of God through Jesus Christ and how you need that every single day. And, and uh, I think those type of real experiences remind us of, of um, how how truly broke it, it breaks down the wall of us versus them is what I'm mm-hmm. trying to get at is, 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 um, the lost world or the broken world. Those who have not found Jesus yet. Um, you know, we, we are really close to, to, to them where our, our situation, although, all, although knowing Jesus, following him and saved, mm-hmm. we need, we were reminded every day of our need for that. And, mm-hmm. and it, I told it, a joke it, when I was preaching on Sunday over at the Poplar Creek church, I said, uh, um, the church is a lot like Noah's Ark. The stench inside would be unbearable if it weren't for the storm outside. And we need to be honest with ourselves that, yeah, the world is messed up and there's some unbelievably insane things unfolding in our world. Uh, but, uh, the church is a collection of sinners that are in the process of restoration. And we need to be honest about that. Mm-hmm. I feel like you have to be in a pretty, 
secure place theologically to welcome people in to your life and to ask them to confess. You know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. to be a person who is confessing. You just have to... The hope is that when you are confessing, it's met with love and grace and not shame and judgment, which I think that for me personally is why I sometimes I hesitate to confess, you know, (laughs) and it's like a, I have to, I have to do some self-reflection. Like, why would I not confess this? Am I Mm -hmm. afraid that I will, I'm going to receive shame and judgment, which means am I giving out shame Mm -hmm. and judgment if Mm -hmm. someone's confessing to me? So yeah, it's a hard, um, I think it's a really deep spiritual discipline to be able to do well. The I shared with uh, John this week, I think it was this week or last week, that um, in 2003 when I, I had been on staff um, for 10 years and then had the opportunity to interview for the senior pastor role here. And so there was a pulpit committee put together and, and there was a, I was interim senior pastor for eight or nine months. And then I was being interviewed by the pulpit committee. It's a co-ed committee. And, um, and, um, at one point, uh, porn use came up and, you know, kudos to the public committee for asking such a awkward, hard question. Um, and, um, and they, you know, have you, have you ever used, uh, viewed pornography? They want to know, you know, me more personally. And I'd been on at the church for some time. So some on the committee already knew the story. Yeah. I said, I have, I went through a season of depression as my father was dying and I used porn like a drug kind of an upper and um, I can remember I had shared from the pulpit that I was going I felt depressed during that interim period of preaching and someone met me came right I came out of the pulpit they met me at, on the on the ground in the worship center and said oh you really shouldn't be talking about depression from the pulpit and I said oh well you probably got the wrong guy then hmm. so I just I think we can give each other hope um, as we're honest about mm-hmm. what God has, how he's cared for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't just have to be historic struggles. Sometimes we get, we make the mistake of only talking about past struggles that have been overcome. We need to be a church that can actually talk about, I'm in the middle of it and I need your care. I need prayer. Um, that's really what this restores groups about that I'm so I think, excited about. I think to your point, both of your point, but Simone, you were talking, you know, how would I be met? You know, if, mm-hmm. if, if someone were confessed to me, how would I meet it? And those sorts of things. I, th- I just think of how important it is to talk about this kind of stuff with our kids mm-hmm. to be quick to, you know, don't live a hidden life. Don't live a, uh, a life where you have, you know, stuff that you're gonna, you can't talk about and, and be quick to confess. Don't always be caught. Mm-hmm. all the time yeah. you know yeah, and it's a good word and it really comes down to how we how we react as parents when we're when we right. see especially at a, at a I'm, t- I'm talking a really young age you know when early elementary school where they know what they're doing <laughs> they, they, they have the ability to hide and manipulate and they know how to confess and how we react and how we how we meet our child when they are broke, when they mm-hmm. are, are broken and we want to encourage them to confess mm-hmm. and share. And, um, man, that has lifelong consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that we can't overcome our mistakes and yeah. those sorts of things. Yeah. I'm not saying we need to be perfect parents, please, yeah. but it's important. The Lord's really been caring for me lately on the, the easy yoke and the light burden notion. And the heavy yoke and crushing burden is hiding sin. David mm-hmm. said, 
when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Mm. And he's talking about his sin. So the easy yoke and the light burden is, man, once you get a taste for confession and the forgiveness of God that's available, that's something you want more of. Yeah. You don't you don't want to live in secret anymore. Yeah. I told one of my boys the other day, well, it's been a little while, but I told him, I said, the good thing about your dad being in pastoral ministry at the church is there's probably nothing that you can say <laughs> or that we can talk about whether you're just curious or you want to confess about it or whatever that I haven't seen or heard. Um, You know, the church is, there's a lot of hard things that people go through and are caught up in. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's a great question. Mm -hmm. All right. Number three. Good question here. If God is an extreme keeper, quote unquote, (laughs) referencing some of us are keepers and some of us are what pitchers. So if, if God's an extreme keeper, what are we to make of Romans one In Romans one, it says at least three times that God gave them over. What does that mean? Does God reach a point where he gives up on people? Hmm. You are the utmost theologian in the. I mean, Simone's close. She's almost a doctor of ministry. <laughs> I'm not even close. Did you get admitted yet to a doctoral program, John? Uh huh. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> I would. My. You know, the first thing that comes to mind. It's first of all, it's a great question. I think Romans one is a little cumbersome, and my my response is to what does that mean? Does my response is make sure you read all of Romans. Yeah. Don't just read Romans yeah. one. So in Romans one, there three times. It's uh, verse 24, 26, and 28. God gave them over, and it's there's a repetition. First of all, he gives them over to their sinful desires. Then he gives them over to their shameful lusts. Then he gives them over to their depraved mind. But the minute you turn the page into Romans chapter 2, you learn why. Yes. He says, Romans 2, 1, so that you'll have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever... For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you pass judgment, you do the same thing. So the point of Romans 2 is, and he gets to it quickly, is that God is, he has the right, he's just in his judgment. When he executes judgment, he's just, and he's given us over um, the world, people, over to these shameful lusts, depraved mind, so that we could see clearly he's just when he judges. And then I love Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is indeed intended to lead you to repentance? So, yeah, Romans 1's hard. Yeah, there's some, I mean, Romans 1 is, Paul is doing a little bit of historic work, too. I mean, he's telling the story, uh, the kind of the, the meta-narrative of how God had interacted with humanity mm-hmm. and where humanity had fallen and where they had gone and all those sorts of things. Um the what what I tried to communicate about God who you know God being a God who restores God being this extreme keeper is and I I tried to make note of the covenant through Jesus Christ I thought it was great and yeah. and that that's what's different in some ways to what Paul is talking about in Romans one to then who we are in Christ now so can God be an extreme pe- keeper and still allow people to wander from Him certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, I can think of plenty of times where, you know, people need to get, even people who are following Jesus are caught up in something that you kind of just need to get to their end, the end of themselves in. And they realize how broken they are and they, you know, begin yeah. to restore themselves and find their way back 
in full fellowship with God. So I want to say clearly that I believe, and I think we believe as a church, that if you are, if you know Jesus, you're following him, you, you're, you've, you're saved, the Holy Spirit has done that work in your life, that God does not turn his back on you. Um, God does he not. finishes what he started. Yeah. Um, you are, you are saved for eternity and, and doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy. Perfect. Doesn't mean you're not going to struggle with sin. Doesn't mean you're going to have, not going to have hard moments, but, um, God does not leave you and, and forsake you. The blood of Jesus Christ is not a covenant that, that he breaks. Is it, is it true to say that someone who God gave them over to their sin is someone who, um, doesn't want to be in a covenant with Jesus. Like they've, they, maybe they, and they never, they probably never were. Well, I would read Romans one as the way John was saying it, that it's an overarching, he's describing the move of God throughout history, giving humanity over to their sin. And so that sin is thorough. Okay. It, it's worked its way through all of humanity. When we get to individuals, I would take yeah. Hymenaeus and Alexander. So Paul quote unquote, hands them over to Satan. But even in doing that, it's first Timothy chapter one and chapter and second Timothy chapter two. But even in doing that, handing them over to Satan, he says it's for the saving of their soul. He wants to give them over, as it were, so that they could learn the, uh, the, the excruciating pain, the lessons to walking away from Christ so that they'll be brought back in repentance, a prodigal son type um, disciplinary action, go and, and, and taste the filth of the pigs. And then the prodigal came home. He came to his senses. Is that- yeah, I think, I think of Peter right like this this disciple of Christ proclaiming Christ a part of Christ's ministry willing to to fight with a sword at the very end and and then quickly denies that he ever knew Christ right. runs hides um lies you know and he needed to have that experience you know the story could have been so different i mean think of the the convincing that could have how convincing it would have been had Peter been confronted and said, no, I know that man. He is the Jesus, the son of God and give your life, you know, they would have hung him right next to Jesus. Right. And, and you know, but he runs, he needed to have that, that moment and then be restored back to fellowship with Jesus. Um, so, you know, just it's an example of even in our lives as disciples, there's mm-hmm. there's things that we're going to go through and challenges we're going to face that test our our faith. It doesn't mean that we aren't being kept by God. Yeah, so Galatians go you, through something hard. Mm-hmm. You quoted Galatians six one: um, If someone's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So there isn't there's a there's a reality to church. Someone's going to get caught in sin. Restoration is needed. It's a function. It's a ministry of the church. And uh, but he actually he actually says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So there's this um, this awareness that even those who are spiritually mature and should be doing the work of restoration need to watch their lives carefully that we not get entangled in sin. I guess the dis- the distinction I was making is the difference between those who want to be restored mm-hmm. and those who don't. Yeah. And those who don't, I've always kind of lumped into this category. Well, then you're going to be given over to your sin and, yeah. you know, 
you're not going to like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to. Are. We have to admit that hell is populated. Mm-hmm. Some somebody's mm-hmm. going to hell, and uh, it's those that don't have uh, trust in Christ who aren't um, following after Him. Um, so, without a doubt, there are some that um, miss out on the rest, the restoration that God is offering through faith in Christ. Yeah. But of those who have come to Christ and get entangled in sin, it's a different story. Yeah. And and near as I can tell, for Hymenaeus and Alexander, Paul had the expectation that the discipline would be productive in their life. In fact, in all the New Testament, anytime there's a call for discipline, one to one to another, there's this hope for uh, redemption, restoration in the life of the person being disciplined. All right, question four. I'm thankful God is a keeper, restoring us, but does that mean God's people can never quit a relationship? I know that we're, we are to be like God, but it seems unrealistic to say that we can never quit a relationship. Can we pitch our friends? <laughs> I love this question, by the way. <laughs> well, then you, you take the lead. No, I don't want to take the lead. <laughs> John's ready. No, I... Um, I think it depends on what you mean by quit. Yeah. Can we quit? <laughs> I, yeah. I hope I didn't make, I, I didn't, I hope I didn't make this a point in the sermon. I didn't I, hear it. No, I think I someone's okay. taking the next logical yeah, I step. It, yeah. I, I wasn't saying that we need to be extreme keepers like God. I was saying, you know, we do restoring work because God, does, that's who God is. It, that's his character. So. Yeah. But uh, can we ever? Y- y- yeah. I mean, there's relation. Be done with something relationally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think there is, um, I think there's probably space for people to create boundaries in their relationships that are good for them and good for another person. So, I mean, we can go to the, to the extreme. I mean, Simone, you've got way more experience in this than I do, but those who are in a abusive relationship, being treated poorly. Um, I mean, not some of the stuff that you deal with is very difficult, ugly and messy and trafficking situations. I don't think that that person should pursue and continue a relationship with that person because that's not safe for them and it's not good for the other person. Internally, the idea of getting to a place of forgiveness and being able to move forward, I think, is is important. Mm-hmm. Part of their healing. It's mm-hmm. part of their healing. Mm-hmm. Great. But I don't think that they need to be restored to fellowship with one another necessarily. Yes. That's I mean, a true statement. <laughs> I, I can see how beautiful and powerful some of those things can be, but I don't think that that's necessarily the only path that that God would have every relationship. Yeah, no, I think I think what you're saying is, uh, of, co- of course, abusive relationships are a, a perfect example of what it looks like to walk away from something. This is not a keeper. Um, and yet there is still healing and restoration that can happen without the other person's involvement. Mm-hmm. So you can heal and you can be um, in a place of forgiveness and um, reconciled to your relationship with God, despite what's happened to you without the other person being involved. And I, I don't know if that's as well known. Maybe it's just so obvious in the field that I work mm, with. Of sure. course, women aren't going to be restored to their abusers. They're still abusing people most likely. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's a really, um, important understanding for people to know that you can move forward in forgiveness 
towards someone who's hurt you without their involvement. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes I think that holds people back from forgiving is, is, is they get that confused with accepting or condoning mm -hmm. what they did yeah, to them. That's good. Yeah. And that's totally, that's totally different. So, yeah, I think of, you know, I do think some people have a pressure to maintain, feel a pressure to maintain outside of these abusive relations that we're talking about, yeah. but just in their life, they feel a pressure to maintain every friendship at the level that it always has been present in their life. And I think we need a little bit of permission and give, give permission to one another to say, friends come and go. Mm -hmm. There's friends that you'll have in your life that will be lifelong mm -hmm. that are worth pursuing through the ups and downs and the, the moves across the country and the changing of, you know, whatever those friendships endure and you commit to them. And then there's other friendships that they come and go mm -hmm. and, and we can be okay with that. God puts people in our lives for seasons of time. And, um, I think there's a danger in just quickly discarding, you know, people that don't agree with us or it, you know, it doesn't, it, we don't like it. So we just move on. Mm -hmm. But there's also a danger in trying to maintain every single relationship at this incredibly high and intimate level. And I don't know. I, the only thing I would, I love what you're saying. And I just would add to it. You started off by talking about boundaries. And I just would encourage people, if they're not familiar with just the basics of what boundaries look like, healthy boundaries, it is so important because there are relationships in your life. I'm thinking of, well, I'll just say it. I'm thinking of my mom, who's not going to ever listen to this podcast. Um, I have to have really strong boundaries with my mom. And I'm not quitting my relationship with my mom because she's my mom. Um, but is she life-giving to me? Not really. And so I have to know, I want to talk to her on a regular basis, so I call her every week. But I also have to know what I'm getting into when yep. I make this phone call. And I know what to do when I hang up with the phone call. And um, I have those boundaries there. And I could go into more detail, which nobody cares to know about. But <laughs> the point is that there are relationships in your life. Some you can't quit, some you need to quit. Mm -hmm. And, um, just having a basic understanding of the value and the importance of knowing boundaries in your own life will be very life-giving and discerning to you as, you know, as an individual to know what relationships are worth the sacrifice on your end to be in that relationship and what, and where you need to put boundaries up where someone is maybe, um, taking advantage of you or they're emotionally and, you know, spiritually exhausting to you. And so you need to know that maybe that isn't someone you need to be in relationship with on a regular basis because it's not life-giving. If quitting means um, hating, growing in bitterness, seeking revenge, no, followers of Christ cannot quit in that respect. If quitting means separating yourself from someone that is doing damage to you, and that sometimes we get into relationship with people that are encouraging us to sin. Yeah. yeah. And so then you can certainly quit if it just simply means separating from somebody that is doing damage to you or encouraging to sin. But even in separating ourselves, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Uh, Simone, I like what you had to say about there. We can offer people that injured us forgiveness without um, even talking to them. Mm -hmm. We can move out of bitterness and towards healing and forgiveness, and we can pray for our, even those who are our enemies who've injured us. And so even when we separate, we're to love others sacrificially, and prayer is a, is a huge sacrifice. Mm -hmm. um, I, maybe we are 
it can be hard to pray for people that injured you and it can be a very sacrificial ministry. Um, so I always talk about it in a disciplinary way, um, in which relationships can enter a season and where we have to separate ourselves. I tell my kids, you're not doing the other person any favor for, for letting them treat you like a doormat. Mm -hmm. That's not good for them. It's not good for you, but it's not, it's not fair to them either. We need to stand up against people who are unhealthy and dysfunctional. And so I look in first Corinthians chapter seven, there's instruction on marriage. And I, I, you know, it's fairly common for marriages to go through hard times. And I've had a number of folks um, say to me, can I get a divorce? And ask me that question. And I'll say, well, if you're saying to me, you can't bear your spouse's sin, that they're sinning against you, or um, Paul says really clearly, um, a wife, and the converse would be true as well, a husband, a wife, husband must not separate uh, a wife must not separate from her husband. A husband must not separate from her wife, his wife. But if they do, they must remain unmarried or else be reconciled. And so there is a, an appropriate separating if, if there's sin in a relationship. Uh, if we're sinning against each other or encouraging each other to sin, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. So I, I think we need, to, we need to be honest about that. Sometimes we do damage to one another. And, um, but that, that never means we can grow in bitterness and seek revenge and we still pray and, and move towards forgiveness. I think of relationships in the church, which is, which was a lot of our convert, uh, a lot of the sermon and kind of the, the takeaway on Sunday, who we are, who we are supposed to be as a body of believers in, in relationship to one another and all the words that Paul, Paul, and then James and Peter as well offer are these ideas of bearing with each other, being compassionate with each other, being full of kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. It doesn't say anywhere in any of that that we all need to be best friends or that we all need to be on the same, you know. Agree on every agree subject. Agree on every subject and be um, socially, you know, with each other and, and that we all love the same things and have fun doing the same things and we all... Yep enjoy each other. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. say any of that. Yeah. And so there is a level of relationship in the church that, sh that amongst the body of believers, those that are committed to GBC, we worship with, we're in fellowship with, that should have a level of connectedness and a level of respect for one another, full of kindness and gentleness and patience and bearing with each other and forgiving, hearing confession and praying for forgiveness, um, all those things need to be present. Those are relationships that you work on to have this level of, mm -hmm. of connectedness. Yep. That's good. Um, I think of churches that do the work, um, before communion. And, and we had a moment of this not too long ago where, you know, if there's something that if you've got a disagreement with a person in this room, that's fellowship is broken between the two of you. Now's the, now's the time to do some of that, that work. Um, not that you have to agree on the issue, but you have to be, you have to mend, you have yeah. to be mend, you, mending. Often, you have often, to be gentle and humility, full of humility. Yeah. I often say to people, well, the first step in restoration, and we typically outline three steps in restoration here, but the first is, can we take communion together? Mm -hmm. Are we still holding sin against each other and growing in bitterness? 
I think some of this is really important in the day and age in which we find ourselves. When there's so many opinions out there. When there's so many opinions. So much canceling. Yeah, canceling and opinions and the idea of, you know, I just, to be at peace, I need to be with people and around people who think just like me, believe just like me, would make the decisions that I'm going to make. And, and that's just, I just don't see that being realistic and healthy and yeah our unity and unity is not uniformity our unity is in the affirmation that jesus is lord to to make it most simple our unity is in who christ is and our affirmation of who he is and then we treat each other with as you described loving and patient and kind and gentle and uh, i mean what makes the church beautiful is that a a conservative and a liberal (laughs) A Democrat and a Republican, yeah. a you know whatever the dividing a wealthy lines, and yeah, rich. Yeah, 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 all the different dividing lines that we see culturally yeah. in our world, yeah. that rich. those are gone, mm-hmm. and that the beauty of the church and why it's a, a city on a hill and a light to the world, and is because those people who who culturally who, who culture and society says they shouldn't be together, <laughs> they shouldn't interact with each other, are in the church together in the body of Christ in the community and they're acting with kindness and humility and patience and they're caring for one another forgiving one another holding hands and worshiping even though they are different in all the ways culture says that they should be different mm. so it's kind of goes back to your first one of the issues we talked about was this kind of locking arms together against culture and i there there's a danger in that because we don't act the way that we're supposed to act because, well, yeah, you guys all get along because you all vote for the same person or you all do, you know, your ideology is all the same. Yeah. That's not really a beautiful witness of community. <laughs> no, We've just weeded out everybody that's not like us. Certainly, yo, yeah, we're kind and compassionate and we bear with one another because we all are exactly the same. This makes me think of yesterday when I shared with our small group, I listened to a podcast and later I was telling John about, I was like, I hope that was okay that I shared that. And he was like, no, it's okay that you listen to secular podcasts, like giving me permission to be <laughs> aware of the world and what they think. But I was like, but this is, I don't know. This what what podcast? No. <laughs> yeah, really, Come on. I will tell you later. <laughs> All right. Let's do question number five. I really like the idea of being restored myself and in helping others be restored. What does that, oh, I'm sorry. Where does that actually happen in the church? That's a great question. Yeah, so the, the two attributes in the rest, restoring quadrant are a state really clearly. We, we are restored as we depend on Jesus' power and as we can connect in fellowship. So the programs that, that move us towards dependence on the Holy Spirit and connection with one another are programs like prayer. So we pray Wednesday, 7 to 8. We pray Sunday morning, 7.45 to 8.15. It's a Zoom prayer meeting. We get about 12 to 15 folks on there. Would love to have you there, but... The sweetest part of the Brave Book discussion the other day was the 20 minutes of prayer at the end. That's, that is an activity of dependence. And I'm afraid too often that Christians think, well, we better get the prayer in real quick, you know. But it's act, that's potentially one of the most valuable activities, and it brings restoration. God answers prayer. Anytime that we're uh, memorizing scripture, any spiritual disciplines we're involved in, those increase our dependence on the Holy Spirit, disciplines like confession, fasting, scripture memory, where we're renewing our minds. That's transformative work. It increases our dependence. Um, I'll give a plug for this restore group one more time. Mm. Bear with me. So in the fall, I'll launch it in a more formal way. Uh, But Adam Kruger is is running a 
um, a continued program right now. It's, it's a continuation of what we did in the spring. If there are men in the group, uh, men in, the, in listening that are looking for a restorative experience, contact me and I'll, I'll hook you up with this group that's meeting. And it's a confessional group and it's a group aimed at prayer and it's a, it's a group aimed at, at scripture. So I didn't say it as directly as I maybe could have on Sunday, but um, I said, you know, this type of work, the reason that we're talking about connecting with each other deeply in fellowship, it's unrealistic to think that it's going to happen in, in, on the, in Sunday morning in that large with the 300 of, of us of a room. So, yeah. So if you are, if you're looking for being restored and helping others be restored, you, you, you have to get into a group that's yeah. it's sm- one to one, one to a few smaller. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's why small groups exist. That's why they're a part of virtually everything that we do is the realization that that kind of work that takes that kind of conversation and vulnerability and um, intimacy, mm-hmm. it can't be done. You get a flavor for it. I mean, there are some restorative elements that happen. Yeah. The, the invitation to pray on Sunday mm-hmm. is very intense. Yeah. It's aimed at responding to God's word and letting others mm-hmm. in, intercede for you. I just think that there is um, fruit of that consistency. I feel like regularly there are people going for prayer after service. I don't know if I'm just paying attention more or if it's just an increase, but it is so encouraging to me. I'll tell you what's encouraging. Every time I see people. High school kids going forward. I know. that I can't help but cry. It's so hard to pray while you're crying. Yeah, it's so moving. High school kids. We had a number of college kids. I love it. This week. It's like a picture of like the spirit doing something and then it spills over Mm. and everyone catches it. Like you Mm. just can't... um, I mean, I, I hope that's what it, that's what it does for me. It's taken, and it's been a long. I mean, I can think of a lot of oh. Sundays where we just yeah. we're we're going to keep offering prayer. We're going to keep offering yeah. prayer, so that that it's not just in that moment. Like that, there's a ministry moment that happens there, but there's a kind of a proclamation yeah. of the type of ministry yes. moments that we want to have throughout the week and mm-hmm. in our small groups and all all those mm-hmm. sorts of things. So, mm-hmm. Amen. All right. Great job. We miss you, Matt, if you're out there listening. (laughs) That's all the questions we have for today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate to text the Next Level Podcast at 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thank you listeners for tuning in to the next level.